You all, just a, about a decade ago, uh, actually a little over a decade ago, in 2006, um, I found myself in Africa with a, a sports outreach organization um, doing some development work in Uganda and in Kenya. Um, my job was a relatively simple one. I was to, supposed to find a man named Dr. Moses Musazi. Uh, Dr. Musazi was a civil net he is a civil engineer, uh, and he's a professor at Makerere University in Kampala. And what's special about him is that he had designed a, he had figured out a way to make bricks with relatively little soil, small cement mixture, and a whole lot of pressure. And this was a big deal because in northern Uganda, making bricks is um, it's a complicated thing to do. Or, it's not so much complicated, but it leads to a whole lot of deforestation. People are chopping down trees to fuel these kilns, and we wanted to figure out a way to make bricks in an environmental, like an eco-friendly way. So that's what I was there for. And we found him uh, at the university. We were able to get one of his brick-making machines, threw it in the back of a pickup truck. We were able to deliver it to these folks uh, up in northern Uganda. Even though we had found him early on, we still had some things to do. Uh, in and around Kampala, Gulu in northern Uganda, and as, as well as Nairobi. Well, when we were walking through the slums uh, of Kampala, um, there was a man, a, a Ugandan man uh, as part of our team, who saw a child maybe rummaging through some trash. And he got down at his level, he maybe exchanged a few words, and then he picked that kid up and started to walk with him, and he carried him close to his shoulder. And watching this sort of scene unfold sort of took me back even as it moved me. And I later asked this man, why did you do that? Like, why did you pick up this kid? His answer shocked me. Okay, the man began talking to me about Jesus. He talked about a God who left heaven for earth, a God who moved towards suffering uh, and not away from it. A God who did all of this in order to take away sin and sorrow and our shame. And the first time I heard him talk to me about Jesus, I kind of scoffed. It's like, I don't want to hear it. I'm not interested. But I spent two weeks in Africa. Um, and in those two weeks, I saw countless acts of love uh, and courage and compassion. People leaving their places of comfort uh, and security to move into the slums. Uh, people who left the, the relative peace and security of Kampala to move to Gulu, a war zone where kids were being kidnapped and forced to kill their parents so they had no home to go to. And they're taking their sons and their daughters with them to this place so that they can minister to orphans and child, soldier, child soldiers and war brides. People moving towards hurting and hurtful people and all of them moved and motivated uh, by the gospel, right? The good news about Jesus. Well, after watching them for two weeks, I couldn't scoff at them or couldn't scoff at Jesus any longer. You know, Gandhi said uh, that we ought to be the change we want to see in the world. And I was a 24-year-old atheist pointing to a bunch of African Christians and saying, that's the change I want to see in the world. I wish there was more Christians. Like, I wish there was more people like this. And I didn't know what to do with it.
That's something I never thought I would say. Now, last week we raised this question, how is a hurting, um, how is a hurting world full of darkness, full of injustice, how is it going to learn uh, that God is good? How in the world are a bunch of Syrian refugees supposed to believe right, that God is good? How are one million children who are forced into sex slavery every single year supposed to believe that God is good? How are the poor living in the slums of Kampala, right, or in this war zone of Gulu? How are they supposed to believe right, that God is good? So the, the only way that they are going to begin to believe this is when they see the God of heaven leave the comforts of heaven uh, in order to take on the evils of this world. And the only way that they're going to know that is true is when they begin to experience right, God's people doing very much the same thing, leaving their places of comfort, their places of security, and moving into their neighborhood in order to tackle the problems of poverty and injustice right, and the evil that they experienced. Right? It's in that moment that the goodness of God becomes tangible and believable. In the end of our study uh, of salt and light, this is precisely what we see Esther do. Okay, in chapter 4, Esther is deep within the palace walls of, of Asuerus. You know that she didn't choose to be there. Uh, she was kidnapped and she was forced to be there. Uh, forced into the harem, forced into sex slavery, and then we saw the king force himself onto her. It's only after all of this that Esther becomes uh, Esther the queen. And come chapter 4, right, she now enjoys some of the perks uh, that come with that position. She's enjoying the food. She's enjoying the wine. She's in, she probably has some security detail. Right? She's the queen, after all. But when her people are threatened, like when word gets to her that there is going to be genocide, what does she do? Is she going to use her newfound power and position to serve her own interests, to protect herself, right? to, to block herself off from the world of pain and sorrow? Or is she going to use her power and her position to serve other people? That is the question that in some ways is raised by Mordecai. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. In tonight's sermon, I want to make just three brief points. One, you have power, just like Esther did. Okay? You too, like Esther, have power. Point number two, use your power sacrificially and not selfishly. And point number three, to effect change, you need to be connected to the power source. So these are my points. You too, like Esther, have power. Use your power sacrificially, not selfishly. And in order uh, to effect change, you need to be connected uh, to the power source. Well, first, you two like Esther half power. Raise your hand if you have, uh, if you are a U.S. citizen. Okay, all but one. Okay, uh, of you are citizens 
uh, of the most powerful country in the world and certainly one of the richest. Okay, Taiwan is also wealthy and powerful. Okay, China. What's more, okay, you all are college students. You all are college students in one of the richest, most powerful countries of the world. Less than 7% of the world's 7 billion have a college degree. And even by American standards, you are in an elite group. Okay, only 35% of Americans uh, possess a college degree. You all, you are, uh, you are different. You have tremendous power. To be a college student in America is to, to possess uh, incredible power and incredible privilege. This is a short point, but I want to point it out to you. Okay? You, you too, like Esther, have power. The question is, what are you going uh, to do with it? What are you going to do with it? Let me point out what Esther does with hers. Okay? She uses it sacrificially and not selfishly. Esther doesn't use her power uh, as queen to immune herself from the problems of the world. She moves out into the world with courage to meet the problems head on. Right? She says to Mordecai, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law. And if I perish, so be it. Right? I perish. Throughout this um, small three-week series uh, on Esther, as part of our much larger series of what it means to be salt and light, I have quoted uh, Gary Haugen quite a bit. Gary Haugen being um, the president and founder of International Justice Mission, uh, IJM. Uh, in 2007, 2008, uh, about a year after I came back from Africa, I actually got to meet Gary Haugen. Um, we went to the same church in Northern Virginia uh, while I was living there. Uh, and a bunch of us recent college graduates got to actually spend half a day with him, listening to him speak, uh, getting to pepper him with some questions. Um, Gary Haugen, founder of IGN, he grew up in California. And he was uh, born into a football family. He was, I believe, the youngest of six kids. Uh, all of his brothers, right, strong, athletic, good football players. But Gary was kind of the runt of the litter. Um, one day his brothers kindly pulled him aside and they explained to him why he wasn't a very good football player. They said, Gary, the thing is, is you are small, but you're slow. He's like... I don't know if that's kind. <laughs> like, I don't know if that's actually helpful. You're small, but you're slow. So Gary did what um, a lot of us would do. If we were small, we were slow. He went to the weight room, and he started to just lift a whole lot of weights uh, in order that he might not get crushed on the football field so he could kind of beef up, get bigger and stronger. Well, every time he went to the gym, and he's working out and working out, he'd walk past this, this section of the gym that was sort of owned, occupied by the bodybuilders. You could kind of know what that section was because of all the grunting and, you know, weights dropping onto the floor. 
And uh, it would arrest him. He, he would stop and he would watch and he would stare at these bodybuilders, um, you know, in this weight room. So he's not getting bigger, but they are as he's watching them lift. And he was just sort of taken back by just the enormity of their muscle mass, their, their massive chest, massive arms, massive legs, massive neck, you know. All of this muscle, all of this strength, all of this power. But it sort of struck him one day. He said, what's it all for? What's it all for? It's for posing. All of these guys have all of this muscle for posing. And the only time that that strength and power is brought to bear is this crisis in the kitchen where the jam jar is stuck. And it's like, got it, right? Like that's the only real time where all of that muscle is sort of comes in handy for these bodybuilders. A jam jar. You all, I want you um, to encourage you to use your power sacrificially and not selfishly. You see, like a bunch of bodybuilders, you have, as a college student, have a ton of power. You have a ton of strength. But what is it for? What is it for? Is it for your own self-advancement? Is it for posing? Is it for getting the car and the house and the country club membership? Is it for opening a jam jar? I hope not. You know, I pray along with Gary Hagen that in a world of so much suffering and hurt and need, God won't leave us opening jam jars. That he'll rescue us from things that are too petty, too small for us, and that he would move us into a world with courage that is yearning to know the goodness of God through us. And this brings me to my third and final point for tonight. Uh, it is springtime in Vermont, which means that it is time to reboot the garden beds. Day in the dirt, Saturday the 29th, right? But if you've also been to my house, you know that springtime is a time uh, for us to reseed uh, our patchy, prone-to-be-muddy backyard. Uh, we are trying to fix this. Um, I did this just the other day. I uh, tried to reseed it. I went to Lowe's. Uh, I bought some more grass seed. I drove back to the house. I started to scatter it. I realized I didn't have enough, so I got back in the car. I drove to Lowe's. I bought some more. I drove back. I mean, Megan jokes that Route 7 should just be named like the John Minan Highway because I travel it back and forth for like endless Lowe's runs. It's stupid. Um, but this is what I did yesterday. After putting down some seed, um, it was time to water it. And so I grabbed the hose and I squeezed it. You know, I squeezed the handle. And some water like came out, burst, like shot out. It started off strong, but quickly it sort of like petered out until like nothing. I was like, what the heck? Of course, right? I walk, I follow the, the hose to the other end and realize, okay, it, it's not connected. It's not connected to the faucet. Um, it's been disconnected. 
okay, the water that came out of that hose, right? Because there was some water still in there, and it, like the water that came out of that hose yesterday, it was good water. Uh, it watered this small, like, square foot of grass. Like, it did its job for the day. But if I wanted to water that patch of grass uh, again today and tomorrow, if I wanted to water the grass all around it, something had to change. Okay, and the thing that had to change wasn't with the hose. The hose didn't need to try harder. I didn't need to squeeze harder. It didn't need to dig deeper and find, you know, this secret stash of life-giving power, you know, within itself. It just needed to be hooked up. It just needed to be connected to the power source. Now, I know that there is water in you. And I know that God wants to use this power, this life-giving power life-sustaining power that is in you. And I know he wants to use it sacrificially, right, in the service of others. But if that work is going to be fruitful and powerful and sustainable, you need to be connected to the source. Otherwise, what will happen is you will be like me, an idealistic graduate, in my case, the University of Colorado, in yours case, the University of Vermont, ready to take on the problems of the world, ready to take on challenges of poverty, wanting to make a difference, but two years later, being someone who's burnt out, spent, washed up, right, nothing left to give, like a burst of water that comes out, whoosh, and then just fades. Don't be like that. Okay, get connected to the hydrant. That is God and his love, right? His mercy and his grace. And with you connected, I simply want to be the person who helps you like turn that on. And to get God's gospel coursing through you. And as it courses through you, flowing out of you, out into the world, and to be an agent of life, joy. So you all have lots of power. You are being equipped here at the University of Vermont. Uh, you're being given more and more power in every class that you take. Right? Being better equipped. Hi there. How are you? Yeah, yeah, come on in. Um, y'all use it well use it sacrificially not selfishly and get connected to the hydrant get connected to the hydrant here and beyond this place stay connected to it in order that you might be a conduit and a channel of God's mercy today